exist as a church to see God glorified and disciples multiplied through the power of the gospel. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm so excited to share the word with you. Uh, Today we're studying Psalm 1. Uh, It's the very first psalm in the book of Psalms, that famous collection of hymns in the Bible. And this psalm here is is the introduction to that very famous book. It is um, set apart in some ways, and I cannot wait to get into it. So before we begin, let's pray. Wonderful counselor, please open the hearts of everyone in this room, including myself, to what you have to teach us. I ask that you might correct us if we need corrected, and encourage us if we need encouraged. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, you would equip me with words and clarity, and for the sake of your kingdom. If anyone is in this room has not trusted in you as their Savior, I pray that you would open their eyes to the good news of your free grace and create in them a thirst to receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. What does it mean to be blessed? A lot of people have different ideas of what it means to be blessed. For example, uh, some people think blessing means finances, to be well-off, rich, powerful, or healthy. Uh, For example, if if someone were to sneeze in this room, I would be socially inclined to say, God bless you. Uh, But it has something to do with with good things, happiness and contentment, right? But how can we make happiness and contentment blessing last? Because sure enough, the materialistic side of our blessings don't last. The money runs out. People will fail us. Our healthy youth, apparently to my surprise, does, does not last forever. <laughs> and even while we do, not, do have these things, they still, it still feels like something is missing. Maybe today you feel defeated by the pursuits that haven't lived up to providing happiness. Now these, but perhaps you run down these paths to try and find at least a little bit of peace and blessing, only to be thirsty again. Well, good news, this psalm is all about blessing. It's about a blessing that never passes away, that gives joy every morning. The psalm we are reading today will tell us about a person who receives this blessing, tells us how they receive it, and it dives into exactly what that blessing looks like. This key to blessing that is living and active and never passes away is the Word of God. It is the Bible. And if you do not have a Bible, we we have some in the pew in front of you. I I encourage you to read along, and you can hear about the value of this book and how it can bless you. So I will follow two main points in this sermon. The first is, those that delight in the Word of God are blessed. Through verses 1 through 3, we're going to read about a person who does not follow the things of this world that ends in destruction, but is blessed through his delight in the law of the Lord. And through it, he is secure in God's promises. And he produces fruit, he's prospering, and overall, it's a fantastic encouragement for each one of us to be in this book, to delight in the word of God. Because it is those who delight in God's word who are blessed. And through the work of Jesus Christ that declares us righteous and saved, we each have access to receive that blessing today. And as the psalm moves on, uh, through verses 4 through 6, we're going to have a second character. Um, And through that, my second point is, outside of God, there is no foundation. So without God, his design, his book, there is no long-term future. When the rains and winds blow, 
there, only his secure foundation will stand. In this passage, we'll call all of us to turn to God from anywhere else we have been. Because that's, while outside of God, there is no foundation. There's also free blessing to be found in God's gracious arms. So my point today is that you would walk away with an appreciation for this book, for the blessings you can receive through it, and if there are things in your life that you can turn away from, that you would recognize it and turn to the cross. So we will start with point one here. Those who delight in the word of God are blessed. It starts off in the passage with these, these words, blessed is the man. Jesus echoes these words in his Sermon on the Mount, as we read earlier, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the writer is about to tell us about this blessing and where it is found and what that looks like. Let's, let's read verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This poem begins introducing us to this first man who is delighting in the law of the Lord. But before telling us what he does do, the psalm starts telling us what he does not do. We follow this progression. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now this passage is not getting across three different like, rules and things, but it's, it's trying to paint one single picture of progression. So it, it says, you know, he's walking somewhere, and he's slowly going, he sits somewhere, well, walking, standing, sitting. And, and this is a single direction, the opposite direction of delighting in God's word. So let's, let's walk through this progression together. The first step, what this blessed man does not do, is walk in the counsel of the wicked. His help is not found from people who do not have the same values as him. Instead, the wicked instruction of this world it conflicts with the things of God. While on the surface, these, these strategies to happiness, this good advice, self-help strategies, they seem to give quick and easy satisfaction. But deep down, they have roots of evil and wickedness that will corrupt the walk of a person who takes the world's counsel. But if a person does walk in the counsel of the wicked, there's the second progression, is they find themselves standing in the way of sinners. Perhaps while for a while these guidelines seem pretty parallel to, oh, this is a Christian life, you know, it seems pretty okay. There's no harm done and a little bit further and further. Um, but sin is so deceitful that it starts off pretty parallel and it seems okay, but sin is sin. And it is, think of it like an exit-only lane on the highway, right? This, I, I hate exit-only lanes. I'm coming on, you drive down the highway in the right lane, you're following the, lane, the way of traffic, but if you're not paying attention you, see, you might miss the sign that says exit only, and, and the dotted white line goes solid, and it starts to go. And you're trying to get out of here with New Jersey, you know, New York drivers. They might not let you out. Um, so it is with, with the way of the wicked. It starts off pretty okay, but it's, you start to go further and further, and before you know it, you're going the wrong direction you need to, need to be going. And you end up standing in the way of sinners. And perhaps this blessed man, he stays in the left lane of the highway, not the right. And because he knows the way of God. 
and he is aware, and he doesn't follow the crowd's advice and find himself standing in the way of sinners. Those who live in sin may find themselves more and more callous of heart, caring less and less, and they may find themselves last on this list, which is sitting in the seat of scoffers. The, the scoffer is the epitome of life without God. They, they say, Psh, I don't need God anymore anyways. You know what? He doesn't, have, he doesn't know what, he, what he's thinking when he tells me what to do. I don't need him. I don't need church. It's, it's full of a bunch of hypocrites anyways. And so I've got this all by myself. That's who the scoffer is. And this blessed man, he does not associate with those scoffers. He does not fall down this path of sin and destruction. So verse 1 here, this is a warning to us. This, same, this is the same direction that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. When he said, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter by it. But the gate is small, that, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. I ask you, church, what is the direction you're heading? If you examine your life, are you taking on the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, or scoffing at the things of God? Like, the world's counsel, it advises us to do these things. It advises, hey, greed, sexual sin, lying, alcoholism, anger, sloth. It says these things are good, and it wants you to join in with it. And I'm sure you have friends who do these things. And sure, having non-Christian friends, it can be very good. I mean, Jesus, Jesus lived a ministry to the world of sinners, and, and he, but the idea is, do not join in their way of wickedness that leads to destruction. Be careful. Examine what your friends are pushing you towards. If any such people are causing you to stumble, maybe something needs to change. Maybe you need to set boundaries up. Or maybe you may need to remove a stumbling block from your life. And I know that's hard news to hear, but sin needs to be taken seriously. Uh, and it can take us further and further away from God. So do not follow the path of the wicked. This way does not lead to the godly blessing that we're going to read about because the God-sized hole in our hearts will never be filled in the way of the world. God made us to be set apart and holy and to live our lives by what he says. So let's listen to what this blessed man do, uh, does. In verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. So instead, where does this blessed man get his counsel? in the law of the Lord. He lives his life by this book. Uh, when, it, when it says the law of the Lord here, it's, it's not talking about the thou shalts and thou shalt nots of the Bible. He's talking about the instructions of God. The law, his instructions. That's what the Bible is. It's the instructions. Some people acronym it B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. I kind of like that uh, idea here. Uh, the original Hebrew word here, uh, it's Torah, and that's the name for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and the writer of this psalm, he probably, it was probably pretty early on, and he probably didn't have as much as we have now. He probably, he was, he was delighting in the powerful creation story of Genesis, and he was delighting in the story of God's gracious deliverance in Exodus, in the laws of how to live in Leviticus. Numbers and Deuteronomy. And nowadays, yes, 
we have even more books. We have even more revelation from God that we get to enjoy. This book contains practical instructions for us how to live as Christians. It teaches us, it gives us examples of stories of hope and deliverance. It contains promises that guarantee us. It, tore, it, it tells a story about a God's fight to have a relationship with us. As another psalm says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So no wonder this blessed man is delighting in this book. He enjoys it, and he wants to read it and be corrected by this. It says, on his law he meditates day and night. The practice of meditating is not to empty your head, as some people think, but to fill it up. During the day and night, the blessed man is absorbed by the Bible, thinking about it, studying it. And this is not the easy, light reading, like reading a short paragraph, but he is, he is meditating it. He is careful to learn from it. And perhaps this verse may remind you of Joshua 1.8 that says, This book of the law shall, now, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Only once we are in the word, and I mean in the word, as it fills our thoughts, then we can know it and be obedient to what God asks us. Then you can receive the blessings of this book. Church, we are privileged to have access to this book, a book that we know every word is inspired by God, and it is useful to our real lives. But do you desire this book? How much of, our, how much of us are faithful to stay committed and study this book and bring it into our day and night? I know how easy it can be to simplify our time in the word. Uh, it, I know how easy it is to just take a few minutes, read, read the verse of the day, uh, or one thing, and, and just call it. But and I'm guilty of not meditating on this word. And it's especially hard when it can feel dry. But rest assured, for those of you that also struggle in this area, we have plenty of comfort that the entire point of the gospel is not that we are good enough and that we can earn this. But God keeps, well, first of all, God is gracious enough and forgives us for our shortcomings. But also, he's going to continue to work on us until we are finally completed. And so we can, that, uh, so next is coming up is my favorite part. Um, it is the climax of the psalm, uh, verse 3. And it's going to, instead of telling us what he does do it, it's going to tell us about him and encourage us, hey, here's the blessing that's offered by this book. So let's read it. He is like a tree, planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This blessed man, in the law of the Lord, is a healthy tree, planted by streams of water. When storms may come, he has nothing to worry about. He's grounded. He's planted in the word. And when droughts may famish, he is planted by not one it's streams with an S, so he's planted by multiple streams that he never has to go thirsty again. If we are planted in this book, we too have great comfort in the many trials as we finish our time on the planet. If God feels absent, you can read and know he hears your voice. It says if, if you make your bed in the grave or the uttermost parts, he is there. His steadfast love endures forever, and he will come again and deliver you finally and eternally in heaven. 
I know that because that's in the Bible. And that news refreshes me every day. Reading along in the text, this tree also yields its fruit in season. Only by God's power, good things result. As Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It says this fruit is in season, not necessarily right away or at all times, but the season God appoints. It is inevitable that someone who is in this word and is obedient, that someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. Watch fruit yield as your mind is renewed by the book. Watch fruit yield as temptation becomes easier to resist. Watch fruit yield as you are given joy through hopeful stories of deliverance and not COVID headlines. <laughs> these trees, yeah, these trees leaves do not wither. Like the evergreens out in the Adirondacks, it remains green all year round, planted by streams of living water. It has nutrients, the promises of God, that do not give opportunity for it to pass away, even in the winter. I love the quote from Spurgeon on this passage. The Lord's trees are all evergreens. No winter's cold can destroy their verdure, and yet, unlike evergreens in the country, they are all fruit bearers. So lastly, in this description, it says, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, I have to admit, in such a hard world, it's hard to see, see this and be prosper, prosper in all things. Does this mean we'll get whatever we want? No. No, this is, this is not the empty worldly prosperity. God knows better than what our flesh wants. He knows better than to give us a million dollars. Because if we look at things from his perspective, he's working on something much greater for us. He's working for eternal riches. To mold you into the image of his son, not Oprah. And Romans 8.28 says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is the only one qualified to do good. He does promise us to bless us in the way that he knows, in the way he knows is better. We have to trust him in that. This section is a fantastic encouragement for us to take time and study the word of God, to study it, memorize it, know it, and not forget what it says. Because in this book, there is much blessing offered through its nutrients. This is not necessarily to say that just spending time reading the Bible will instantly result in these blessings. Uh, it is in season, first of all. Uh, and this is not like, if then, oh, if I just read my passage. Uh, think about the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees in the New Testament, they, they studied the Bible much more than I ever will. They heard Jesus speak with their own ears, and they were there to see Jesus perform miracles. But even though they studied the word and heard his literal words, they were not changed. What prevented them from this blessing was the blindness of pride in the sin that they were in. They were darkened in their understanding and hardened of heart. Having ears, they did not hear. So instead of delighting in Jesus' literal spoken words, they refused it. So God does not work when he is not in the driver's seat calling the shots. Okay? So many Americans read the word of God, but they do not delight in it being God's word. 
the emphasis here being delight, to have humility to let it change you and to study it and learn from it. So even us believers, we can be warned, hey, if we read this book in a prideful way saying, I already know this already, or this book can't help me, or I'd rather be doing something more useful with my time, we may ourselves be hardening ourselves to this blessing that is offered here. But God wants an attitude of submission. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So open this Bible, not with an attitude to know it all, but to delight in it, to listen to what God has to say, to learn from him. What that means is you may have to recognize, hey, I'm wrong in some areas. But as God remolds you into the image that he wants you to be, it will truly be rewarding. Now, in the next few verses, this psalm transitions. The author stops painting this picture of blessing in words of judgment. That brings me to my second point, that outside of God, there is no foundation. Read along with me, verses 4 through 6. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So it says these wicked people, they are not so as the blessed man. They, in fact, do walk in the counsel of the wicked, verse 1. It says they stand in the way of sinners, and they find themselves sitting in the seat of scoffers and against the things of God. And surely they do not delight in the law of the Lord. They don't need God. They live a life without the blessings we just read about. And they are not planted by streams of water. They do not bear fruit. They have no root system to provide for them the promises of God. Verse 4 says, These wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. The word, the word chaff here, this is a farming illustration. And this this psalm, it was written to a mostly farming culture, so they under, would have understood what chaff was. Now what chaff is, is in the, th the threshing process, that as they harvest wheat, they would collect all this stuff, and it, it'd be mixed, the, the grains would be mixed in with leaves and stuff. And so as they crushed it up, the leaves would break off, and what Mr. Farmer would do is he'd come over with a pitchfork, and he'd start throwing it up in the air. And as the wind came, the, these leaves and stems that the not tasty stuff would be blown away by the wind because it was light and the grain would fall down so they could collect it up and eat it well not eat it right away they would they would probably cook it and whatever they did but this is the process so they throw it up in the air and this the leaves and the light stuff that goes away that's the chaff and that is what the wicked are compared to not a tree but chaff. They do not have the grounding in the word, but can be picked up by something as light as the wind. They are taken up by vain pursuits of the world, and they have nothing to point to their hope in righteousness. Next in verse 5, it says, In judgment day they will stand trial in front of the judge. Uh, we will all stand trial, and it says they will not stand. I mean, so while the wicked did not pursue the things of God, these people of the world, their re record is full of evil. And in face of God's 
absolute holiness, they will not stand for what they've done. I mean, I get a picture here of they probably will be knocked off their feet because even their righteous deeds will be like filthy rats. As it indicates, they will not be in the congregation of the righteous who did follow God. And in verse 6, we, it wraps up this thing with like an end of the story verse. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As it indicates, well, there is good news for the righteous people here. They will be known by God. And what it means by known here, it's not talking in intellectual like, oh, I know this person, I know them. It's talking about God's knowledge like he knows their way. And even while it seems foggy to these righteous people, like it may seem foggy, they may not be able to see their hands in front of them, but God knows. And God is over them and watching over them. So in the same way, Jesus, the good shepherd, is watching over his sheep and leads them in green pastures. However, there is a group to which Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. These are sad words. As the way of the wicked will perish. Just as chaff is collected up to be burned, the wicked will not enjoy God's presence. They chose their own way and will be repaid for the evil on this earth in a truly sad and hopeless ending. It kind of leaves this bitter taste in the mouth. Like if, if we imagine the day that we have to stand in front of the almighty God and he's going to judge us like what, what's going to happen? With every mistake, every lie and thought, every gossip we've told, lustful looks, that time that you decided to watch an hour of TV instead of delighting in his word and listening to him, what will it be like? Do we live up to God's righteous standard? I am too guilty of being the one who does not serve God, of going my own way, of, of neglecting reading his word. Surely, on my own, I am not this blessed man described here. I am not righteous, as it says in verse 6. And you too, if you are human in this room, you do not. For no one is righteous, no, not one. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. That is separation from God. And we cannot achieve this blessing of a relationship with God on our own. Because we are destined for judgment with nothing to pay for our crimes. But good enough. We are not on our own for this. As the emphasis, God did not leave us in our own sin. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. Well, he lived the life, the perfect life that we could not live. And then he died the death punishment that we deserve. He died on the cross. So that anyone who believes in him, who places their trust in him alone, will be declared righteous by his blood. Will be declared righteous by his blood. By his account, all your crimes are removed from the record. This is what God has achieved for you. And he gives you the helper, his Holy Spirit, to grow you and mold you into his image. If you have not made the decision today to trust Jesus, to accept this gift to cover your sins, I implore you to do that today. The creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. If you're willing to come to God's throne of grace and ask, 
only then may you delight in this, the words of this book of the good Savior, and then you can become this blessed man planted by streams of water, living water, secure in him forever. Knowing this truth from Psalm 1, I have two takeaways for each of you. Two pastoral charges. This man, this is the first. Repent from the way of the wicked. Repentance is a big term, uh, but really what it comes down to meaning is to change your mind and turn away. To turn away from the way that you're going and turn to God. So have you let yourself slip into the ways of the world, delighting in the things that are not of God? The way of the wicked, the temporary, ends in judgment. Repent and turn back to God's gracious hands. No place is too far from the reaches of God's grace. And if you have not trusted in Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, all your sins can be taken care of today. And you can begin a relationship with him. Or if you are a believer, now is a good time to reflect. No, Jesus has taken care of your sins already. And begin by repenting and turning back to your creator. If you have been slowly turning the way of godly down that exit lane, you know, this way is not for you. Turn back and repent from the way of the wicked. So my second pastoral charge today is to delight in God's word. If you have been encouraged by the blessings that are offered in this passage, or perhaps by the good news that God has shown grace to save you, take up this book. It, it may take a little bit of patience but with it, he can grow you, renew you, and mold you. Do not, leave it, do not leave it at the door of this church, but bring it into your day and night. A good application of this might be to be a little bit strategic about your word, time in the word. Maybe set a time, hey, first thing in the morning, I'm going to start off my day with the blessing of God's word. I'm going to worship him first. Open up a book, maybe John. John's a great one because we're reading through that as, church, as a church. Um, take up a pen and paper. Take notes on it. Study it. And make sure you pray so that God can teach you humbly. Take it into your day. And surely you can be blessed by the reading of this word. Ladies and gentlemen, some people call this book the greatest love letter ever written. From page one, we read about a God, a creator, who cares for his creation, but cares for a particular part of it. And as sin comes in and messes everything up, he keeps calling. And he keeps calling back to them to come back. And he keeps pursuing them. And he saves them and calls them his children. This is good news. It's, it's truly a story about how God loves us. And he is madly in love with us. And trying to restore us continually. And reading this truth in that this book is the best blessing that is out there. For joy and security. It is not old or outdated, but is living and active. Worthy and applicable to be taken into your life today. Let's pray. Wonderful counselor, loving father. I pray that each person in this room would be filled with a delight for your word, that they would take it home and be in it. Keep us from the ways of the wicked 
by your unfailing grace and mercy. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Hi, Taylor Callen, pastor of Oregon Baptist Church. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon. I pray that you are more encouraged and love Jesus and the gospel more after hearing the sermon than when you first sat down to listen to it. Know that, that our heart at this church is that this sermon would be an encouragement to you and would be a useful resource, but would in no way replace the pastor that God has called to shepherd you or the church that you're called to be a member of. With that being said, if you want more information about our church or want to hear more sermons, go to horicanbaptist.com.